Hi, I'm Keith Hazendeem. And I'm Sarah Shepard. And this is Dungeons Dungeons and Documentation, Documentation, the podcast in which we discuss information architecture and view it through the lens of the world's greatest role-playing game, Dungeons and Dragons. In today's episode, we'll be interviewing Diana Chow, a dear, dear friend of mine and an animator who's been working for 12 years in New York City as a freelancer and a full-time animator for some big corporate companies. She's going to walk us through the animation process and how it works in a creative team. We'll hear a little bit about storyboarding and how she manages her creative team to produce animated work. We'll then be talking about how that process can help you plan your next D&D session through a visual lens. So we hope that you enjoy the discussion. And without further ado, here's Diana Chow. Well, now I do mostly motion graphics work for commercials, so... Anything that you see on TV or even social media now is um, all, I just make shit move, basically. <laughs> that's, that's like the general aspect of it. But 2D animations can be anything two-dimensional, can be like drawings. I have some cells over here Ooh. from Bill, actually. Um, and the old school ways that uh, you paint it. And then you go frame by frame and you take a picture and then it creates movement. Right. Yeah. So that's about where my understanding ends, you know, is like, yeah, like the old, old, you know, Walt Disney, like, you know, drawing on clear plastic cells and you lay them on a black background and, you know, take pictures mm-hmm. of it or whatever. So what is yeah, it actually? I was traditionally trained to oh, the okay. animation and then I, and then I branched out because I wanted to make money. You didn't want to make two cents an hour sweating over your drawing desk or whatever even now like when i'm trying to hire for bids and hire for projects and stuff and i ask animators some of them are like 150 a day which is like nothing yeah (laughs) especially in new york Mm -hmm. when you're animating like on a computer or whatever what does that actually look like like you build a model and then you are you like actually manipulating it and still doing a frame by frame thing or is it is there like a program that's like make this guy walk down the stairs and then it does it what does it actually look like i think in commercial space um we're kind of like the central of everything right we have to work with like accounts people strategy people designers um and so we usually work with designers and they give us assets and things and then we take those 2d assets and then i put them in after effects is what we use so someone might give you like here's a lipstick and we want this lipstick to fly around how would you make it move are you drawing like a little path on your computer no we use a lot of keyframes it's the best way i can describe so if i wanted to move like this object from the right side to the left side, we key this right side and then we key it moving across the screen, let's say, and then it goes there. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then you could like have it get smaller if you wanted it to look like it was going to the distance or mm-hmm. something like that too. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. So how long when I see like a 16 second animated ad on social media, and maybe it depends on the ad, but when I see a 16 seconds of animation, how long did it take to make that? Well, it depends. Also, in commercial spaces, it's always 15s. We have a 15, we have a 30, and then we have a 60. 
Because if you go over the one second, you have to pay more. Right. So, or like the algorithm doesn't recognize that like an Instagram or something like that. It just, it will cut off. So we have to have those very certain time perimeters. But it usually depends. Honestly, like I just made something and it took, say, like 15 minutes, (laughs) like 20 minutes, but um it's more about the process of getting to that space gathering all the assets making sure that everybody that you talk to in the meetings are aligned and then what takes the longest is when people start to like either nitpick things or they didn't know what they want before and then they change it all of a sudden so you have to find other things like different footage or whatever like so it's all really the process of getting to that 16 seconds right it's a bunch of politics (laughs) yeah and is that because you're working in a commercial space whereas like someone in the artistic animation they're not working with all those stakeholders although i'm guessing like with someplace like disney it's probably similar where they've got so many screenwriters and so many people who are got their hands in the pot is that just the nature of animation Yeah, so the nature of animation is just, like, you usually, like, have a script, and then you guys, like, whittle down the script, and you make sure everything's right, which then goes to storyboard artists, and then the storyboard artist creates, like, those key moments of, like, the script that's happening, and then from there, you create an animatic, which is, like, a moving, a moving storyboard, essentially, that you put audio next to and then you play it down to make sure that the timing is correct and then from there <laughs> yeah, then you can start to like um and then on the other side of it is like people need to create all these characters and things because they, they need like 360 views of this character and like what they do and how they're sad and happy and all that stuff from there it will be time to animate keyframes give it to the lead animator lead animator creates all these different keyframes main poses of each character let's say and then give it to the in-betweeners which the in-betweeners will draw from one keyframe to the other one in between those frames right and then from that (laughs) it's like cleanup work then you color then uh compositing um, so it's a lot of work and a lot of people that, that has to go into making an animation. Mm-hmm. And in terms of commercial space, it's a little different because people want things like now. They always want things like immediately. So like today, for example, I was like, when do you need this back? And the answer is ASAP. It's always ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, sometimes they're like, it's so funny because it's like, We have all these processes for animation and they give us a week turnaround time sometimes and we're doing heavy VFX work. But like for some reason, other people get to think about this idea for like a solid three months. And you're like, how does that make any sense? (laughs) So they get to think about it for three months and then tell you to do it in a week. Yeah. So when you come to a job like in your current as a as a freelance animator are you coming which phase are you coming in at do you do you come in like in the early sort of conceptual and storyboarding phases or you come in once they like know what they want and they just hand it to you and have you do it 
really depends. Right now, it's like they, the agency got a new client, so there's no processes built at all. Um, so it's kind of like build the car as you go, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, as you drive. <laughs> you have to build this door and like, you know, you kind of have to piece together things. And I think a lot of people don't understand is that like animation is a lot of like most of the time 50% is problem solving and like dissecting what clients want and what they need and what they actually mean right so if they're like oh I want to make the logo pop like (laughs) okay now I have to translate what What that means yeah define (laughs) pop yeah yeah and then they're like you know just like make it pop (laughs) it's just the same thing like make the logo bigger right like you're describing this huge long process with all these people that are involved and then the animators take it and they run with it and they're also doing all of their processes is there someone overseeing it is that what a creative director is doing are they the producer like who's in charge of the big picture the dungeon master of animation ah so the dungeon master in this would probably be the creative director they need to oversee all multiple projects that are going on and they need to like be able to talk to the client about what exactly that we're giving them creatively and even then a lot of creative directors don't even understand how to talk about animation but their whole job is to like sell you on that so uh, your comp- your freelance company is what chow and friends is that right yeah, Chow and Friends. Chow and Friends. Okay, so Chow and Friends. Like, how does how does Chow and Friends operate? Do you operate as as like a standalone animation company? So you like do something from start to finish, or are you just sort of like the, the you're the animator that comes in and works with the creative director from another agency to like make the thing happen that they're that they're sold to the client, or how exactly do you key in? what I would like to expand to is to more so talking about systems and processes is to go into like tech companies or startup companies and like help them understand how to build their own in-house animation teams. A lot of people don't understand like that you need to have, you need to be organized when you're in there. And if you're not, things can fall apart very quickly. Mm-hmm. Cause like, let's say you need all these brand assets or something like that. And everybody is sending you random Slack messages. It's like, here's the logo, here's the, the font. It's like, why can't we have a universal server that has all of these things together? And then you just send me where to go, right? <laughs> like, so I think a lot of people don't understand that we need those things and so mm-hmm. it gets really messy and even in um after effects it's like we have to be organized otherwise their file starts getting lost like things need to be named a lot of people don't do that in the in in-house spaces so when I come in I'm always like oh my god what is happening so anyway long story I just want to help people build that process and organizations within their own companies so that we can set people up for success and also like help teach them how to like their in-house animators, how to like essentially just mentor them and teach them how they can talk to clients about animation and what we do. Cause I think a lot of people think it's magic and it's not. 
And do you feel like in your limited experience, I know you've done a lot of freelance with corporate, so you've worked with big companies and I know you as my friend, so I kind of already know the answer to this question, which is that there's a disconnect between the creative work and the like corporate needs. Like they don't understand the value. They don't understand the work. They are looking for optimization without understanding what even can be optimized. Is that where a lot of the frustration comes from? Yeah. And I think the way that social is too now, right? Like we look at Instagram reels or TikTok or whatever. And then companies are like, I want exactly that. But we don't want to look like we're a corporation. We want to make it look like DIY, like someone else did this. And you're like, that's impossible because you're a corporation. So like (laughs) everything we do is going to look polished. Yeah, I feel like we can do a sub episode about a villain who hires an animation team to like make them look nice. I'm workshopping (laughs) this live right here. So you've got your, you know, your advertising team has this new push. They want an animated asset. They're telling you their blurb and you're going to distill that into what they actually want and then Mm -hmm. present them with a storyboard. And what is that process and how many people are generally involved in creating storyboards It depends, right? So um, in commercial spaces, when we make storyboards, it's important because A, there's a visual aspect to the storytelling. People can see in real time what it looks like and what it's going to be. I think a lot of people have all these different ideas. And so it kind of locks them and grounds them into the space of storytelling. And also it's like, it helps you visualize like, okay, what is the camera move that I want? Or like, who is the type of person that I want to cast in or like draw or whatever. And it's kind of like, you know, like theater, like you have to block out where you're standing and where you move and where that character moves. And it's the same thing. It's like, we're just telling it on paper. So we want to make sure that like everything that we do is locked because once you start to stray away, you're wasting time and you're wasting money. Right. So not only does it help you in your creative process, but it helps you in your business exchange with your client to to Mm -hmm. say, this is what we're doing and you've got it on paper as opposed to a vague idea. And have there been times when you've been given a script and the script is very blah, but through storyboarding, you're able to put your own little touch on it and maybe bring some life into this otherwise very boring script that whoever gave to you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause it helps visualize once you bring in all the other, other elements like the camera, the VO or like whatever the script is going to say. And like those things help picture the whole story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, so I haven't seen your work. So it's, I'm, I'm just sort of like shooting in the dark a little bit here, but do you, I mean, you do animation on top of live video as well as like mm-hmm. just pure animation. I mean, I kind of assume so. So when you're when you're animating with live video and you're in that storyboarding process, how much of that? Because I assume then you have you have two creative teams, right? You have the animation team and then you have the film team or whatever. So when you're in that storyboarding process, how much of that gets sort of decided by the animators versus the, you know, director, you know, whatever, who's managing the sort of shooting side of that? Well, it's like, now it's like a bigger hole, right? So Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
usually live action directors, they have a shot list, uh, meaning that like, um, we're gonna have like an extreme close up of this moment, or we're gonna have a wide uh, on this moment, and we're gonna do this and that. And so we work together in terms of, well, the storyboard always comes before it shoots, that yeah, we shoot, sure. either in live action or in animation. So that's helpful. And then usually on set, we have like um, a VFX supervisor, someone who can like be there to make sure that whatever they're shooting, they're also accounting all the things that the animators need to do Mm -hmm. in post-production. And then the storyboard, do they go through a revision process back to whoever the stakeholders are, or does it just move forward from there to the animation team? Um, yeah, once everybody's aligned, then it goes to there, there'll probably be tweaks or something like, you know, it might be like a camera move or a different setting or the, and then after that, yeah, they'll give it to keyframe artists and then they'll start keyframing everything from that storyboard. Mm-hmm. That's why the storyboards also have to look very clean because you're passing it down to the animators. And if it doesn't look clean, then the animation's gonna look whack <laughs> because they'll be confused, or they'll just like put in unnecessary elements. Well, they're gonna use those to have to keyframe their initial animation. So mm-hmm. if your arm is like all crazy and draw it like this, then the animator is gonna draw the exact same thing that you decide to put on there. I just don't see there's so many people involved in this project of making a 15 second social reel. How does the initial idea even it's like that game of telephone where you whisper something to somebody and they whisper it to their friend and they whisper it. And by the time it comes back around, it makes no sense at all. There's so many people involved. How do you keep it consistent? Is that just the creative director looking in at every point and being like, yes. This is good. Or is that how you end up with like really terrible, you know, movies and animation that it just makes no sense at the end because it's so complicated? You just have like multiple meetings and it's a lot of like, you know, do we have the like idea part and then and then sometimes it's like they don't want to invite you to these meetings. So you get you get it in like later when they need help and they need you to problem solve something and they're like, oh no, we did something wrong. Please help us. <laughs> um, so it's just multiple meetings and checking in and like making sure things are aligned. Let's I talk usually about like that. Please help us moment. Okay. Why were you not invited <laughs> to that meeting? Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, the, industry the agency industry is so old school i mean it started by like old white people right think about matt what's it called old man man. (laughs) (laughs) um so i think a lot of these things i think it's it's funny right we have creative director we have associate creative director we have art directors and we have designers we have animators and it all kind of trickles down but I think a lot of people don't understand that like, like someone like me is like, I don't always have to do, like I'm not the type of person where it's like, here Diana, animate this thing. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I can do that, no problem. But I'm more like, I like to concept work and I like to tell the story and I like to know why and I love 
looking at data and like trying to figure this these things out. But I think a lot of people don't understand that it's not all just one job. It's like we can do multiple things. So I think a lot of people just kind of want to pigeonhole you into one space versus understanding like the multiple talents that you can bring to the table, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're a storyteller. You're not just an animator. Though some people like want to do that forever. Like they want to just sit there and be like, yeah, man, I'm going to animate this thing. I don't want to think about anything. The only thing I want to do is just like make this guy like fight this other guy. And that's cool enough for me, which is great. But that's not my thing. Okay, I think that was an interesting discussion because I was just planning a D&D session, which I ran last weekend. And as I was preparing, I was sort of unintentionally keyframing it mm-hmm. as I was, in, I got overwhelmed by all the prep and I just started drawing moments that I knew I had to plan for. Um, and that mostly to use that as a guide for building the terrain for that session. But I think there's something there. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, the last session I was planning, I, I had an idea for where I was going with it, but when I actually started to flesh out all the details, I kind of got lost in the weeds at the very beginning, and then I ran out of time, and the whole end of the adventure was just sort of rough ideas, you know. Yeah. So. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it feels like, well, I yeah, think they exactly. knew I wasn't prepared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was listening to that and thinking about how to sort of build out an adventure all at once mm-hmm. um, from from sort of very rough ideas and then fleshing them out sort of all at the same time so that at the very least if you run out of time it's all equally fleshed out that's good yeah yeah because i definitely am the kind of person who's logging into roll 20 about to run a game and being like i better upload a map real quick yeah i have nothing for that well let me just say the other thing that i found really interesting was talking about um, having everything you know organized within your um within your sort of medium so that you can quickly adapt and um, quickly generate new ideas and I think that's especially important as a DM because you can spend hours and hours planning a session but you sit down to actually play it and a player makes a decision that you don't anticipate and all of a sudden you're basically re-planning the entire session or at least mm-hmm. the plot of the session on the fly right and if you are prepared for that if you have all your assets in place and you you know can be flexible in what you've you've set out then that works just fine and in fact it makes it way more fun but if you're not prepared for that then it just sucks <laughs> yeah i've yet to find a good system i have like a giant google doc and i know at some point maybe we'll talk about systems for organizing your creative assets yeah. i'm putting that in quotes because it's sort of like that could be an npc that for yeah. whatever reason your party really latched on to when they want to go back to his house and you're like I don't even remember that guy's name but if I if I organized my campaign in such a way I could quickly pull it up yeah and reference it yeah it's interesting you should mention that because I think that that'll be an upcoming episode yeah <laughs> Zettel casting spoiler alert so yeah. we'll talk about that yeah. okay so I guess I'll say also when I was keyframing this session I also kind of wasted time like I, I and I feel like maybe DMs feel that way where they prepare something they think is going to happen and then it doesn't happen and just being ready to let that go like I drew out this moment of like and then this, there's going to be this great reveal and through the portal comes this character they thought was dead and mm-hmm. and then the players never even ended up being close to the people I don't know I could have 
maybe changed it. Mm-hmm. I was too focused on the location. Yeah. So, well, let's take a step back and let's just run over because we talked about it a little bit with Diana, but we kind of talked about it not not very in depth. We t- <laughs> so let's take a step back and talk through that creative process. You know, what I realized talking to Diana is how many stinking people can be involved in creating an animation. So yeah, which you don't realize until you watch the credits of a Marvel movie and you see that like 25 people were involved in involved in the animated fight background. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Just the background of Dr. Strange. Yeah, totally. So you start with a script and then uh, I'm just going to hit the main steps. So Uh you start with a script storyboard Mm -hmm. an animatic. So that's like a moving storyboard with sound. She said, Mm Mm-hmm. And then um, in the course of that, they're building their character creation. So they're getting all the 3D looks of their characters, how their expressions look, that kind of thing, so Mm -hmm. that they can use that sort of pool of visuals to actually create the movement for the characters. Yeah, and guide everybody, because multiple people might be animated in the same character. They have have to have a guide. Right. So at that point, you have sort of a rough idea of what the movement is looking like with the sound and the timing, and then you have the specifics of your visuals. And then they move to what they call keyframe animation, where they, they, the, and my understanding is, is that the keyframe is like the boss animator, right? So they're they're creating the main looks um, for each scene. So like you know, guy standing on a cliff, and then there's a guy at the bottom of the cliff, or you know, yeah, or like, like a complicated hard. action. Sure, they're going to animate yeah. just that part, and then. Yeah. What brings them to that and what they do after that can be left to a junior animator, like the walking into the scene. Right. The yeah. walking out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So then the, yeah. So then the in-between animators come in and actually f- fit the movement into those two things. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes in her line of work, that's done by the computer. Sure. Through the magic of, you know. Computers. After Effects keyframes. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they go into cleanup and making everything, you know, look really yeah. nice. Yeah. And she did not mention, but between... The storyboarding and the final animation, often towards the end, there's a team that's doing the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And she used to do that way back when she first started in New York. She was just drawing backgrounds for animated films. Yeah. Um, so somewhere along the lines, they're superimposing those keyframe animations and over a background, which right. is drawn independently yeah. of the characters. Yeah, sure. In older cartoons, you can identify... I mean, I remember I used to be able to, you used to, be able to watch cartoons and you could tell which... Uh, pieces of the animation were not part of the background like there's a rock that's a different color from Mm -hmm. all the other ones because that was drawn right but in the keyframe and then the in the in between artists and then someone else drew the background so they just wouldn't always quite match Mm -hmm. you'd be like oh that's gonna do something (laughs) yeah or like you know you see the simpsons they reuse the same backgrounds over and over and over again and just animate them getting up and off the couch and they don't have to redraw it so reusable and done independently of characters is location or backgrounds yeah so we thought we'd sort of take that structure a little bit and you know adapt it into um, ideas for how you could plan a session mm-hmm. using both sort of visual language or literal drawings, and then also sort of planning a session from this holistic viewpoint, looking at the beginning to the end and fleshing it out sort of all at once rather than you know just trying to start at the beginning and you know, write the entire story from beginning to end. Yeah, which, as we've said, can often lead to you feeling like the end you're not prepared for and it fizzles out. So, and I think this is good because when you first suggested this, I thought, well, how is that different? But um, it's different when you allow for the flexibility that a good 
Dungeons and Dragons game requires. Right. So I think it is easy, like they say, oh, start with a strong start, which is great. Mm -hmm. But often, yeah, the start is so strong, the middle and end are suffering because I feel like I can't plan those things. But I think through this, we can plan it enough. Yeah, exactly. So... So let's let's sort of look at our analogous mm -hmm. pieces here. Okay, now so for, script. For an adventure. So script. So here we're talking about like basically the overarching idea. You could think about this as the adventure outline. So you get an adventure hook. You get a middle, an exploratory phase. You get you know a crescendo, maybe a fight, or you know a puzzle that needs to get solved, and then a denouement of some sort. You know, basic your basic story stuff, and that can of course change and adapt. You know, however you want to write your stories, mm -hmm. and you can really pull in what you did with the coffee roasting diagram and just start with that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Find out where your crack is going to be. And for those that didn't listen to the coffee roasting episode, we're not talking about crack cocaine. No, we're yeah. talking about listen the to cracks episode... that you hear when you're roasting coffee. Yeah, yeah, episode four. Okay, so script is phase one, and that's your general adventure flow, hook, a couple ideas, maybe a resolution. Um, but you're not actually writing the script. Yeah, I mean, you can't really write a script, you can't. right? Although sometimes it's fun to have like a couple prepared lines from NPCs. For the Absolutely, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. sure, sure. But that's um, about it. Yeah, or an event that they witness. So then, so then the next step is storyboarding. So we are, we were thinking of this as as pulling, you know, maybe four to six key visual moments that you want to create in this adventure, and this can help you to sort of flesh out both what you need for the adventure in terms of maps visual elements, uh, NPC, mm -hmm. um, characters, etc. And it can also help you to actually create that, that visual imagery for the party. However you do that, whether you're building models or map, you know, physical terrain pieces or creating sort of descriptive elements, you know, like you find in the Wizards of the Coast books, mm -hmm. you know, where they describe what the cavern looks like. And I like that because it's when you were telling me about this idea of storyboarding and then I remembered that Diana used to draw backgrounds, I came to this interesting realization, which is that you can storyboard these visual encounters regardless of the actual location. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you might feel like you're railroading the players if you draw, oh, they will arrive at the town square and witness the mayor beheading a thief. Mm -hmm. But if you just write or draw a little scribble of someone gets beheaded, and a clue is revealed, it could happen anywhere. They could come across a junction in a road and they're dealing out sure. justice. You know, the sheriff's caught them. And um, so I think that allows for the flexibility that a DM needs, but you can still think of these really powerful scenes that your character could be involved in. Yeah, and so in my mind, that's sort of the distinction between the storyboarding phase. So the storyboarding phase to me is almost like, how do I envision this this adventure happening? Like, if I were just going to write this story and play all the characters, what would it look like, right? Mm -hmm. And then you move to the next step, which is that key framing. So that's looking at what's the important elements of those moments. So it could be someone getting beheaded. It could be, uh, you know, the adventurers enter a room and find treasure, but whatever the important moment is, you have that's where you sort of identify this is the this is the sort of beat we need to hit in this adventure to keep it moving along. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't and you can let go of the unimportant moments, like you said, like it could happen in any location or if the location is important, it could happen with any number of characters, either player characters or non-player characters 
but just sort of finding like what's that essential thing that you need to sort of guide the party into actually doing. Yeah. Okay. So you're thinking from the from the sketch of four to six scenes, you move into keyframing and keyframing. How many do you think you would do for those? Like three keyframes for a eight long eight hour long session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say a five hour five hour long for session. Your basic sixteen hour session. Yeah. I, I feel know, like eight you would standard. Need... Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you're playing, I think okay, four hours. You're yeah. gonna play Friday night. Yeah. I'm going to have three keyframes because I want to actually maybe more. Well, is a strong start a keyframe? Like the very first, the adventure hook. Yeah. I mean, I yes. Okay. I think like, I think the adventure hook can be a keyframe. I mean, in, in my mind, you know, I, I, I usually think about sort of three sections to mm-hmm. an adventure. I think about the, and the beginning section, right. It's pretty obvious. Like how are the players going to get into it? Right. So I think that's definitely there's a keyframe moment there, but you could have multiple keyframe moments happening, right? Like you could have, you know, your classic scene where the players are in a tavern, right? Mm. And they meet an NPC. Never done that. Who's, who's, you know, daughter was stolen by werewolves, you know? Uh, and so that could be a keyframe in that. But then maybe someone turns into a werewolf in the tavern or, you know, in the town or something, you know, they, they, they're going to witness someone turn into a werewolf and that's going to pull them into the next, that's going to sort of light the fire to pull them into the next section. So you could have two keyframes in that one intro section. It sort of depends on how you're trying to, you know, move things along. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think we need to do a mashup of the keyframes and the coffee roasting. Yeah. Diagram. Because totally. really, like, it's you're building tension, building tension, building tension through these encounters. Yeah. Keyframes. Yeah. That lead to the crack. Right. The daughter was a werewolf all along. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. don't know, whatever it is. And then, you know, going into your resting phase. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So, I, uh, and to go back to like my general idea of a session, I always think of like, so you have the initial hook, you have the sort of building phase. So, that's where the characters are investigating or they're, you know, going through the first part of a dungeon or something like that. I, I like to build my adventures so that there's sort of a natural break, like halfway through the like action part of it. And so I th- sort of think I, I try and separate out two like sections because I always think it's, you know, it's nice to be able to have a, like a natural short rest mm-hmm. in the session. I don't like to do that. Oh, really? You like to just keep the fire burning yeah, all the way through. I like through. to watch the panic. <laughs> I like to watch the excitement in the warlock's eyes when they get to take a <laughs> short, short rest. rest. I'm like, you, you can take a short rest if you want, but yeah. the dragons are not resting. Yeah, totally. Okay, keyframes. Got it. And then what comes next? Character development? Well, no, that's happening before all of this. Yeah, so character development, I think, is happening sort of in that storyboarding phase. So okay, maybe you're, you're doing a little sketch of your character. Yeah, and that could happen. You could have an idea of what those characters are before you start storyboarding. I think that that storyboarding could be helpful in identifying what other characters you need. You know, mm-hmm. I've got this scene in, a, let's go back to the classic tavern, right? And you've, got, and you've got your NPC, right? That could be part of your, you know, plot idea. But then when you start storyboarding it, Oh, well, there's this NPC, but there's also other people in the tavern. There's a barkeeper sort of being able to populate those spaces that you create. Yeah, so, so it's I, like maybe there's two sheets. There's your planning keyframes, and then there's the characters, and like your cast. You're casting them Yeah. as you go through the yeah, your, story. Your character and asset development, too. Mm-hmm. So your maps, locations, um, 
items. Whether that's, yeah. again, like whether that's a physical asset or whether it's descriptive items, treasure. Okay, so we've got our keyframes. Uh, in our keyframes, we're identifying the essential elements. So uh, either a who, what, where, you know, who do they see, what do they see, or where do they arrive kind of thing. Okay, and the big reveal or consequence of that keyframe yeah yeah right yeah that how is that how is that moving the plot forward and then the in-between artists um you know going back to you know the the animated the the in-between artists would be the actual players that you're playing with right they're establishing what goes between those keyframes yeah exactly yeah i like that yeah yeah so regardless of the characters the player characters actions in most circumstances, you could still arrive at your keyframe because it might not be tied to a location. Right. If it is tied to a location, you would inspire them to go to that location through yeah. DMing. Yeah, totally. And I think that the the thing I like about thinking about an adventure this way, or even a campaign, I mean, you can think about it sort of larger story arcs mm-hmm. this way too, is it keeps you nimble, right? It allows you to be reactive. And, you know, when you're thinking about these like, plot point moments you can also think about well if the characters decide to you know be friends with the bad guys instead of the good guys you know like how could we how can you still use those same moments and the same encounters and adventures and just sort of flip it around so Mm -hmm. that they're you know bad guys instead of good guys yeah so the the um benefit of planning with this sort of structure is not only do you avoid having such a strong start and having nothing later on, mm-hmm. you also create flexibility. Right. Where you're not dependent upon an actual, this happens and this and this and this. You're sort of like, well, I know I eventually want to hit this idea and I've gotten it written or I've thought it out or I've drawn it. And because I've thought about it visually, it inspired me to have these items that I've drawn and little right. details about the NPCs. And Yeah, totally. And in the course of the just playing the adventure, you may need to revisit the whole thing. You know, someone may pull a total wild card move. You can sort of go back to the appropriate step. Like, you know, I don't know, maybe the, that keyframe is no longer applicable. You've mm-hmm. got to go back to the, you know, the very start. But I think if you have that sort of structure set up for yourself and you get used to building something that way, it just it makes you more able to do it on the fly. So I just ran a really big combat encounter. Mm-hmm. I had five player characters three groups of allied NPCs. So I had like a group of dwarves and I had a magician and I had a dragon. Mm -hmm. Then I had two dragons and cultists. Oh, and I had a whole ship of people. And as I was running the combat, I did it traditionally. So I had like, oh, like like 12 initiative counts and layer actions for the dragon. Yeah, And I was found myself thinking afterwards like oh i wonder if keyframes would have helped me here mm-hmm. like replacing the dragon's initiative key or initiative role with some keyframes because sometimes the two dragons were fighting and totally. at that point do i need to roll against right. myself yeah i think i could have upped the pace of that encounter if i would have just had something prepared like the two dragons soar off and they clash in the air and you know like written something descriptive yeah you just have an idea of how those npcs are going to interact and you just play that out mm-hmm and I was like rolling to see if the cultist yeah. succeeded, and uh, there's too much rolling. Right. Yeah. Um, it was fun, but I wonder like if the, you could also take this idea just for one 
combat encounter if you're coming up to the grand finale of yeah yeah exactly so you 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 see what's important to the story right how do you want the players to interact who do you want to be winning and losing regardless of the player's intervention and then depending on how the players intervene and how you know they get sort of treated by the dragons or whoever they're fighting um how does that change the sort mm-hmm. of course of the bigger battle between these NPCs? You know, you, like you say, you could have several keyframes within that one battle, right? You yeah. Know, you could have sort of an introductory, like, oh, you see these two dragons fighting and there's these cultists and, you know, one of the dragons, you know, knocks the other one out of the sky. And Yeah, and I was actually thinking if I had that prepared, what I would have done behind my DM screen, I would be rolling just for the sound effects and then prepare, I would read my prepared oh, and then talk keyframe and they'd yeah. be like, man, she's so she good. Is she is awesome amazing. At this. Yeah. <laughs> and then I would turn to the player, what do you do? You're next, right? You're next in the yeah. initiative. Yeah. Or, I mean, if you really wanted to get, if you really wanted to sort of leave it to the mechanics of the game, you could roll out the encounter the sort of first part of the encounter or pieces of the encounter ahead of time oh, right so yeah. that you're not rolling doing it. for the dragons yeah so you're not doing it in the session i think the one other thing that i wanted to mention is so so the the other thing that diana talked a little bit about which i thought was very interesting is organization sort of within the department and it you know it's less specific to animation but i think a really good point overall in terms of being able to organize your assets and have them sort of ready to go. If you have that all set up, then it's really easy to just respond to a situation. And the, the, the same is definitely true in Dungeons and & Dragons. And I don't think that Wizards of the Coast really does us any favors in that regard. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the information is all there within the books, but especially the way they've rolled out this latest edition, it's just everywhere everywhere yeah i I always think things are going to be in the dungeon master's guide they're in the player's handbook and vice versa yeah yeah i I have found myself hearkening back to the days of second edition where you had especially like as a player you know where you had a fighter's handbook Mm -hmm. that had a bunch of class variations and rules for fighters and stuff like that you know i kind of wish that they even if they just you know, re- rolled out the exact same content and just repackaged it into one book so that people could buy one book instead of 10. Yeah, I mean, obviously I would that's buy not it. what they want, but... I would buy all of them. Yeah, totally. And it's interesting to hear her say that she were, has worked as a freelancer for 12 years for companies big and small and art studios big and small, mm-hmm. and that this is a consistent issue. Yeah. Except in the rare outlier team. It's a problem she encounters again and again and again of, of not having their processes... Um, not having it communicated to all the members of the team and not even having standards for naming files. Yeah, totally. Um, and of course, like I'm uh, I'm probably one of the most disorganized people, even mm-hmm. though I love to talk about organization. As a DM, everything's kind of scattered and I have a binder and I, I uh, right. but I recognize the value in being able to quickly pivot. Mm-hmm. I don't know the best way of organizing that. I've been thinking lately about and actually, since sort of starting this podcast and thinking about this podcast, I've been thinking about publishing some of the like adventures that I write, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if I'll ever actually do that. But I do think that it's useful to building it and to organizing it, like if to think about, well, if someone else was trying to approach this material, what would make sense to them? Yeah. And how would I explain it and how would they use it and access it? Yeah, right. And how would I like format the adventure and like include the information for the, you know, monsters that they're going to fight and, you know, all that stuff. 
spoiler alert, it's not how it's written in the adventure books <laughs> from yeah. Wizards of the Coast. It shouldn't be. Not that the content isn't strong. I mean, I'm not trying to complain about that. But the you know the way that they lay it out is not user friendly at all. I mean, I know you can pay $200 and get the like deluxe kit, but it'd be really nice if they just had maps in the back of the book that you that could just pull use. out. Use Again, they used to do that. In the good old days. <laughs> in the good old days, back when I was a boy. Well, I'm going to start working. No, it will already be done. By the time you listen to this podcast, we're going to have a storyboarding worksheet yeah. for planning your next session. And I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a version that pairs it with the, the cu- coffee couples with the coffee recipe. this is yeah. my dream is that one day all of our worksheets will overlay one another to a super sheet yeah the only thing you ever Mega need sheet. to plan a campaign yeah we could have a wall-sized sheet that's like a everything you that's like one adventure <laughs> <laughs> planning <laughs> Dungeons and Documentation is a production of Keith and Sarah's free time. Our theme music is by Ian Post. Our executive director is Oslo Cobblepot. Our underwriting is provided by Shepherd Creative Enterprises. Dungeons and Documentation is recorded and produced in the Tomb of the Smiling Lich. This episode of Dungeons and Documentation is brought to you by DM Tools. DM Tools. It's got some sick-ass new content, so check it right on out. DM Tools can be found at dm-tools.fission.app. Find the link on our homepage. This episode of Dungeons & Documentation is brought to you by Foam Insulation. Foam Insulation, it's what your terrains are made from. This episode of Dungeons & Documentation is brought to you by episode 148. Episode 148 will finally make it by then. So let's take a step back and talk through that creative process sort of from soup to nuts. Um, soup to nuts? Yeah, soup to nuts. I don't know. Isn't that right? <laughs> That's a thing people say. No, no one ever says that. Sure it doesn't do. make sense. What are you talking about? Like I'm making soup and uh-huh. then at the end of the meal, I'm going to serve you nuts? Yeah. No, it'd be like from nuts to peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs>